Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. You know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Hey, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the St. Jude kids. St. Jude's doing incredible work fighting childhood cancer. And because of donations, like the ones that you get, families never receive a bill ever from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, food, none of that. Help St. Jude stop childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope. Get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. It's going to look great on you. So join all the doctors, researchers, and me in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785-833. Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers, 785-833. Welcome to episode 256 of the Bobbycast. We're posting this a little earlier than we normally do because we're heading out for vacation. But we got an interesting uh, episode here, a little different than normal. We'll talk to Yardley Smith, the voice of Lisa Simpson on The Simpsons. She also has a podcast called Small Town Dicks that we talk about. It's about detectives, true crime, which I mentioned because my uh, girlfriend's now a true crime podcast listener. But I know you were geeking out because the voice of Lisa Simpson, huh? It's awesome. Favorite show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So check that out. You know, we do music here 95% of the time, but if it's another podcast that I want you guys to check out, I think you'll like that Small Town Dicks. But she'll talk about that, and she even gets into Lisa Simpson voice a little bit. Yeah. Um, And we are a music podcast, and we'll talk to Eddie Stubbs coming up in a minute who retired from the Opry. He has been the voice of the Grand Ole Opry for 25 years, and uh, just great to talk with him. The legendary 6.50 a.m. WSM radio personality announced his retirement. So we talked with him for about 15 minutes or so. Kind of love that. So we got a pretty cool but different episode. I'll mention this. There are some records coming out. Uh, That's what this is all about. And usually we'd sit here with the clips and play them all, but we're not available on this Friday to, to play them all. But Luke Bryan has Born Here, Live Here, Die Here. That's a record coming out. Cassidy Pope has Rise and Shine. Mary Chapin Carpenter has The Dirt and the Stars. And I'm looking at some of these other people. I don't know who a lot of these folks are. Aminini, Deep Purple, Glass Animals. I don't know who these people are, so we're just going to go with those three for now. <laughs> so we don't have the songs of anybody else. There are the three records. Let's just get going on this podcast. Let's do, okay, we'll do Yardley first and then Eddie Subs. Yeah. All right, thank you guys. Give us five stars if you, if you don't mind. We'd appreciate that. Thanks. Hey, Yardley. Hey, how are you? Hey, uh, really good. Nice to talk to you. Thank you. Likewise. A couple things. First of all, I was, you know, uh, reading some stuff about your podcast, Small Town Dicks, and yes. when I clicked it, I wanted to see what you look like, because I watch The Simpsons forever, and you don't normally know the, the faces of the voices. People do that with me, too, on the radio show. Sometimes they're like, sure. I had no idea what you look like. However... I used to watch Herman's Head like crazy. That was one of my favorite shows. <laughs> and I was like, holy crap, I know her from Herman's Head. 
Yes, yes. Wow, look at that. So uh, anyway, I'm, I guess I'm a bigger fan than I even thought, so it's really nice to talk to you. <laughs> That's so nice. Thank you. Uh, I want to start with your podcast because I've just now got into listening to the true crime stuff, mostly because of my girlfriend. She's a, a big true crime podcaster, and I was like, man, I don't know about this stuff. But I find myself a little bit caring too much now. I was listening to the one called uh, like Bear Brook or something, and it didn't have an end. The podcast didn't have an end. So your podcast, Small Town Dicks, you get, these are true stories, right? That's right. Now, who are the people investigating each, each episode, each story? Um, well, I co-host the podcast with identical twin detectives, Dan and Dave. And all of the cases that we cover on the podcast are told by the detective who investigated that case. And it came about because... Um, actually, so I'm actually engaged to Dan, Detective Dan, um, and when I started dating him, I never dated anybody in law enforcement, and he would come home, you know, and actually we were long distance for about two and a half years, and so when I would go see him, his day-to-day was so jaw-dropping, it was so like, I'm sorry, what? I mean, the mere notion that the minute you leave your house, somebody, first of all, you're going towards all of the things that the rest of us run from, and second of all, somebody might really willfully want to harm you is just a completely foreign idea to me. Like, when I leave the house, I go to do a pretty fantastic special job, but nobody's trying to kill me, (laughs) you know? So, um, So when the podcast came about, it just seemed like a natural fit that all of the cases should be told by the detectives who actually investigated them, because in the podcast space, not so much in the TV space, but you didn't have a lot of first-hand accounts like that. And you had a lot of, if you do listen to true crime, there's a lot of rehashing of very famous crimes. And so we really wanted to illustrate the fact that big-time crime is happening in small towns everywhere, just with less frequency, but the same level of reckless disregard for humanity and depravity and it's kind of shocking and because I remember when I would say to people oh I'm dating a detective from a small town like oh as you do like rescue cats and trees and stuff you're like no actually there's murder and there's you know burglary and robbery and horrible things happen um so it just was an interesting a really interesting perspective I think on law enforcement and also one of the artifacts of small town police departments is that they are expected to deliver the same high level of work product as a big city agency, but with many fewer resources. So, you know, if you're on the SWAT team, you're a detective probably too. Um, and so in the back of your car, if your patrol car, you have your, you know, flak vest and your long rifle and your helmet, like, oh, now it's a SWAT call. It's just a very, very different animal than the 50 SWAT guys sitting in Los Angeles, where I live, waiting for something huge to happen, you know? So, um, I, I, and I find it endlessly fascinating. And on my side of the table, because I'm the civilian, I also want to know, if you are the person who's going to see the worst of humanity every day, where, do you, where does that reside inside of you? in order for you to also be able to be a father, a husband, a partner in some way to some, you know, other human being on the planet. Where do you put it? Okay, that leads me to a lot of questions. I'm going to go with this one first, where they're twins and they're both in law enforcement? Yes, 
and they at the same agency, and they worked. Uh, Dan is now retired, but they worked literally across the bullpen from each other. But Bobby, when I tell you, there were only nine detectives in the whole agency for this small town. And, I mean, it's, and two of them were your were your yes. fiance and his yes. twin, not even just his brother who like passed it on down to him, his twin brother who made the conscious decision at the same time they wanted to be. That's crazy to me. I know. They're identical twins. They're actually what they call mirror twins. So Dan is right-handed and Dave is left-handed. Um, they both played baseball. Dan played minor league baseball for the Cubs. Um, Dave was a pitcher and then he blew out his arm before he got to professional ball, but it's really, it is fascinating dating a twin. I don't know if you've ever dated a twin, but they're, they really not. do have this shorthand. They can kind of read each other's minds. It's, it's, it's kind of great. I kind of, I, and I love Dave. I love, I love me some, some Detective Dave so much. On this podcast, because you've now completed the, the sixth season, and this is a very successful podcast, and I'm only coming to it because I just now got into true crime. Like, this this world has been open to me recently. So at the end of each episode, are you is the crime being solved? Some of them, not all of them? How, does, how did these things end? Or, or is that something you talk about? Yes, we do. We actually only cover adjudicated cases because a lot of our detectives who come on the show are um, still working, and we never want them to for instance, be uh, testifying in a trial and, and have the defense attorney say, oh, so you're part of that podcast, so you're here to sensationalize crime, um, and nor do we want them to compromise the investigation in any way. So all of the cases, I don't think we've, I don't, we've never actually covered a case that was unsolved. Um, I like that, honestly, yeah. because again, I listen to one, I tell you, I listened only to five episodes this dang thing, and at the end of it, they were like, and we still don't know. And I was like, why did I just spend five and a half hours? There's no conclusion. <laughs> it's so frustrating. You know what's funny that you say that? I started to watch this show. Um, I, I think it's on a travel channel. It's one of the, It's like a true crime show, but they have a, a medium, and then they have a detective. And the medium doesn't talk to the detective until... They've both done their investigations of usually some haunted house, right? The the people who live there are so freaked out, and they don't know how to. There's like an evil spirit, and so the so they usually like yes, yes. The medium who's quite good, it seems, um, and really does nail a lot of stuff. And then they go to the homeowners and they do their findings, and they go, yeah, so you probably should get somebody in here to exercise and then, you know, exercise the dwelling or whatever. And then you see a chyron that says, they're still looking for a priest to come and exercise the dwelling. <laughs> Activity is still happening. I'm like, how could you do that? How could you not help these people <laughs> like get rid of this massive thing that's terrifying them? I just feel, I really feel cheated. It's just so wrong. Do you know what that show's called? That would be interesting to watch. Oh, it is. I do. I'll, I'll, um, I'll look it up. Take a second it's and Google it. Yeah, yeah, it's quite good. Well, I'll uh, say this. And you know what's interesting that you say you're a girlfriend, um, and I was, what, I was creeping on you on um, Instagram. I follow you, and um, you have great pictures. You guys are, and you're a gorgeous couple. Oh, thanks. Um, That's mostly her. I'm just the, the funny guy, yeah. <laughs> we all need funny, Bobby. Um, and, she, and so most of our, or a large portion of our audience, over 70% is women, and that's true for most of true crime. Why is it that balanced 
pretty healthy. Um, she's emotionally stable, except she wants to hear a podcast where people have been cut up and stuffed into a barrel. And I'm like, what? Like, everything about you is, like, right on, except two kids. We couldn't find their heads. Only three toes remained. Who could it be? And then here I am two days later going, all right, we're going to find the end of this episode. We still don't know. All right, goodbye, everybody. Like, what the? <laughs> I think part of it is that most of the crimes happen to women and that there's a kind of um, cautionary voyeuristic there, but for the grace of God go I. And if what if I was in this situation, what would I do? And can I learn from the mistakes and the successes of the people to whom these things have happened? Mm. Well, she's now starting to learn a bit of self-defense. I don't think she wants to, like, fight people. But I think yeah. if someone – like, she's learning how – if someone's coming in the house, what to do with the door. Like, it has also scared her into learning how to protect herself. So I guess in the end, a full circle is a benefit that she listens yeah. to these – because she's so freaked out that now she's learning. You're with your fiance, fiance, right? That's what you said earlier. Yes. With your fiance yes. being in law enforcement, does he teach you some of these little things too? Like, hey, if someone grabs you, or is he just like, I'm gonna be there, don't worry about it? Uh, both, both. But um, for instance, he's off um, coaching first base for a, an independent minor league baseball team this summer, which he's done for a couple summers now because. He still loves baseball, and he's super good at it. So when he's not here, he's like, okay, here's the, here's the drill. And so I have, you know, I want you to lock yourself in this room if something should happen. Of course, set the alarm at night. Um, if somebody did attack you, go for the eyes. Um, kick them, like kick, scream, fight, fight like your life depends on it because it might. Uh, he, You know, scream. He's a... He's, uh, and and then all kinds of things like I learned never to leave anything in my car, and I kind of I kind of didn't really leave anything in my car ever. He said, not even a charger, or the don't let them even see the wire of your phone charger because they will break into your car on the possibility that maybe there's a device somewhere, maybe in the center console, maybe something. And so I never leave anything in my car. Um, it's been quite, and, and I think having done this true crime podcast now, I see things through a, a more suspicious lens. I'm certainly a little more aware of my surroundings, but Dan, when we go to a restaurant, if the restaurant's super busy or we're out somewhere, his head is on a swivel. And very early on, I was like, what is your deal, dude? What about like, hello, I'd like a little attention. He's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's just now it's my default. He's got eyes everywhere, always looking for <clears throat> the potential threat. It's quite fascinating. Do you have nightmares after these podcasts? Because I, like, I tried to, I get nightmares. <laughs> I can't watch scary movies. I tried to read Twilight. I had nightmares. So, but I, if you're covering these crimes, are you ever asleep thinking about this crap and you're waking up with your heart just beating like this? Um, I, I was sort of, I'm anxious anyway, so yes, uh, I'm always afraid somebody, I, I, my fear is somebody's going to break into the house and I'll, I'll realize it too late, you know, like they'll be standing over my bed by the time right. I figure out that somebody's in the house. <laughs> um, but it's interesting when you, because I also edit, we have two actual editors who put the, the podcast into Pro Tools, but I edit on paper and give notes, and um, you then sort of switch it to literally the other side of your brain, the more analytical, 
less emotional side of your brain in order to make sure that everything is lining up. Sometimes, because we're not dealing with professional storytellers, sometimes they'll tell you the end in the first five minutes, and you're like, great, that's okay. We're just going to move that back a little and wait <laughs> a minute 17. So <laughs> create a little suspense here, um, but never change the story. But again, sometimes just rearrange the puzzle pieces. And so my job as the editor is to make sure, because you have to remember always that pretty much 99% of your audience is doing something else while they listen to your podcast. So they're gardening, they're walking the dog, they're going on their daily walk, they're driving, they're cooking. And so my job is to make sure that you can still follow the story, even if I don't have all of your attention. And if you miss something, you're still interested enough to go back 15 seconds ago. Oh, I want what? I want, oh, hang on. And then you go back and pick up where you left off. That's a good tip. So it's really, um, so that helps kind of, it's a terrible thing to say, but disassociate from the horror of it because it really, you just go, people are horrible to each other. People are awful. I I agree. I was watching, I watched the first episode of the Jeffrey Epstein thing last night on on Netflix and I, yeah. And I watched it, and I was like, I don't know if I can do any more of this. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it, Bobby. I'm so with you. It was just, I, and I've watched, you know, some of that serial killer stuff, and I, and I was intrigued enough to finish the whole thing. But the Jeffrey Epstein stuff, for some reason, I felt so, like, deeply sad in my, that I thought, why would I keep watching this and continue to feel this way? Yeah. And what I, I felt agree. is nothing compared to what they felt. It was just, yeah. it was the only time I'd had listened to something like that. Or watch something like that and felt that way. Because when I watched the Ted Bundy thing, I was like, give me another episode. Can't hit. And I don't know why I am so intrigued by that part of it. Like, that would be like a your podcast type thing, but not like the Jeffrey Epstein thing. Yeah. I think, you know, I completely agree with you. And I feel like the thing about people like Ted Bundy is he seemed to work so hard to create a, a persona that was the complete opposite of who he really was. And Jeffrey Epstein did nothing to try to conceal that. Um, Did you finish it or did you watch? No, I didn't. Yeah, my girlfriend too was like, I can't do any more of this. So anyway, I don't want to talk. Can I ask you some uh, Lisa Simpson questions? Yeah, yeah, I love Lisa Simpson. Okay, well, so I'm going to let my producer, because I'm a Simpsons fan. I grew up in the 80s. I mean, I was born in the 80s, so obviously it was a big part of my life. But Mike D here is the biggest that I ever know. He's my producer. He's got three questions for you that he wants to ask specifically. Mike, say hi. Hey, Yardley. It's Mike. Hey, Mike. How are you? Big fan. Um, I actually just read Mike Reese's book, Springfield Confidential. Isn't it great? It I was so good. so much about the show from that book. <laughs> yeah. The, the story I love that he told in there was about the Michael Jackson episode where he came in, read his lines, but then he brought in like an authorized impersonator to do like the actual song in, in, the, in the episode. Yep. Do you Can have you imagine being so he was this lovely young um little white guy and uh, Michael Jackson had hand picked him to sing like Michael Jackson in front of Michael Jackson. Can you imagine <laughs> doing an impersonation of the artist themselves right in front of them? Do you have somebody like that like a, a designated impersonator if you ever get sick to do Lisa Simpson? No, actually. But we do have a guy, um, his name is Chris Edgerly, and he does all kinds of voices for video games for the most part, but he, he'll he fill in for whoever is sick that day, mostly the guys, because the guys do you know multiple voices. But he'll also fill in for me, and how would I love to be a fly on the wall 
pretend like, ah, oh, not sick, just came to see Chris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what I love about Lisa is like I kind of identified her, identified with her a lot growing up, just because she was, you know, smart, didn't have a whole lot of friends, but yeah. she also had like these lines that almost didn't fit her personality. Yeah. Was there ever like a like a fight you had of like, okay, I don't think Lisa Simpson would actually say this. Yes. Um, uh, there's only there's one uh, incident that I remember very early on where they had, I think it might have been, there's an episode called Lisa's Pony, which was in the first 10 years. It was a wonderful episode where Homer ends up working three jobs in order for Lisa to be able to have a pony. And in the original draft, she got, she kind of had a crush on the stable boy. And I just felt like it was much too mature, much too sexual, this kind of her her infatuation with this kid. And I'm like, I, I, this isn't right. Like this, I don't, I don't, I'm not cool with this. I don't feel comfortable with this. And so they changed it and it just became much more sort of goofy and sweet. And um, as I think it should be, for God's sake, she's eight, right? <laughs> um, but I will say, again, rare occasions, because they really get it right 99% of the time, but two things I object to. One, people being really, really mean to Lisa Simpson and her having no recourse. There was a whole... Um, we had a couple of showrunners who when Homer got really, really goofy and really stupid for a few years, he would also often be quite mean to Lisa. And I'm like, that's not right. I don't, I'm not okay with that. Like, I need to stand up for my girl. And really the point was, even if I didn't win the battle, it was important that I fight the fight. And, and they would usually, for the most part, we would be able to reach a compromise on things like that. But my premise is that mean humor is lazy humor, and it's much harder to write something that's really witty and incisive and memorable um, as opposed to just hurling insults at somebody. I feel like we can do better than that. All right, one last question. I'm sure people ask you to, you know, do the voice all the time, but Lisa Simpson never had a catchphrase. If there was, like, one line that you remember from the show to pick as a catchphrase, what would it have been? Well, probably, I mean, it's probably, I am the Lizard Queen! <laughs> it is so sad that Lisa Simpson doesn't have a catchphrase. I mean, it's kind of heartbreaking. Bart has, like, 15 of them. You can't give one to my girl. You can't. <laughs> the other one that people cite is, I'll be in my room. Oh. Which is um, a really was a very funny, dry delivery. When I think she she just was like, "You, I am not, I am not one of you, family." Somehow, <laughs> I think my somehow favorite, I landed here. <laughs> I think my favorite was always just that'll that'll learn them to bust my tomato. That was always my favorite line. How do you remember that? <laughs> I don't know. I, I just you. always gravitated towards that line. <laughs> I would imagine Yardley, it's Bobby again. I would imagine because, and I have a very because you know I do this radio show and I I do things, but. I, a couple years ago, I did um, Dancing with the Stars, and I won, but yes, I, would, I would be in the I, airport. And I want to ask you about that. And you, okay, you can't, sure, ask me all you want, but I, I would be in the airport, and people would come up to me, and they would go, hey, uh, and they wouldn't know me from the radio show or from the books or anything. They'd be like, hey, you're the guy that won Dancing with the Stars, right? And I'd be like, yeah. They would go, would you do a dance for me? And they would, <laughs> they, I would be in the airport, or I would be at a Chick-fil-A, and they would want me to bust out a jive. Now, yeah. I can imagine if you're somewhere where there are folks— they're coming up to you going, hi, um, you're the voice of one of those symptoms. Will you do the voice thing for me? Does that happen to you everywhere? All the time. All the time. 
and usually I I decline. I'll, you know, if they ask me for a picture, I'm I'm really ninety five percent of the time say absolutely. Let's have a picture. But I feel like. You know, it's not a party trick. It sort of is, it's my job, and it's hopefully, you know, something that I've honed as a skill that is uh, has some value to it. And it's also kind of weird just to sort of be in a supermarket and go, Hi, I'm Lisa Simpson. What's your name? <laughs> I mean, it, nothing attracts more attention than breaking into your cartoon character voice have, in public. Have you had to learn uh, they also say, oh, could you do my vo- outgoing voicemail? I'm like, no. Oh, no, I get no, those too. Yeah, I'll get, or, yeah, and sometimes people will just randomly come up to me with their phone and they're already talking to someone and they haven't said hello and they're like, hey, my cousin Jim's on the phone. Will you talk to him for a minute? Yes. And I'm just like, man, there's a whole process before the, the phone handoff. There's a yes. hello, an ask. Uh, right? Yeah. So you, also, I guess when people come up to you, have you had to learn how to draw Lisa a little bit? No, that's such a funny question. Um, so I do these uh, videos on my Instagram and Twitter called Simpson Sunday, and they're really short, like two minutes, three minute videos. And in a couple of them, I've said, okay, here's a picture of Lisa Simpson. I'm going to try to draw Lisa Simpson freehand. And it's horrible, and it's hilarious, <laughs> and there's commentary that goes along with it. And then the first time I did it, the fans were like, oh, my God, it's so great. It's so bad. Can we have that? So I, I was like, okay. So I forget. I held, like, a little contest, and the winner got my really terrible picture of Lisa Simpson. Um, it's really – it's. It's I can't. No, I'm terrible at it. There, mm. the short answer is I can't do it. Well, I have w- just one question about the Simpsons. They're, the episodes are 22 minutes long, and I guess when you hop into a to the booth, or I don't know if you're going into a booth still, or technology allows you to do it from home a, a bit, like we can now too. How long does that usually take to knock out an episode? Well, we used to um, before the pandemic. We would record all together like a radio play, which is actually really unusual for cartoons. When we did. Several years ago, we did that crossover with Family Guy, and I, because it was on their time slot, we recorded in their facility, their studio, and, excuse me, I went in and did it on my own, did my lines, you know, just wild, one after the other. I had all my scenes were with Mila Kunis, but I didn't even meet her because she wasn't there that day. But for us, our executive producer, James L. Brooks, who comes from sitcom and films, you know, Mary Tyler Moore and uh, Taxi and all these incredible iconic sitcoms was like, I don't know why you would treat this any differently. It's still a conversation. And I'm a big fan because even though at this point, after 32 seasons, we're an incredibly well-oiled machine. And when I go in to do ADR, which is for your listeners who don't know, when you replace dialogue that they've rewritten after the original recording session, I go in and do it myself. <clears throat> but in the original recording, which takes about four hours, we go through the scene four times, and then if they still don't have what they want, then we'll just do individual lines as pickups. But the way, for instance, I stand between Dan, who does Homer, and Nancy, who does Bart, the way Dan or Nancy or Hank or... Um, you know, Julie, who does Marge, says a line is going to inform the way I respond. And so that's my preference. But when the coronavirus hit, we all started to record from home. 
so because I do the podcast, I already had really good equipment, and that seemed like a pretty good setup. But I really hope that at some point we get back into the studio altogether. I just think it gives it a a texture that you can't manufacture on your own just because, you know, if I was next to you, Bobby, and I said, boo, then you would have a reaction to that versus if I was next to you and I said, hey, how are you? Right. Yeah, right? we, we dealt the same thing in our studio. We were all working from homes for a while, and there's definitely a vibe difference Yes. in just the production of what we were doing. Well, I didn't know what ADR meant, so thank you. And I also, if I'm admitting to myself, I had to Google what adjudicated meant when you were talking about that <laughs> earlier, if I'm being completely <laughs> com- completely transparent here. L- listen, Yardley, it's been so nice talking with you. Everyone check out Small Town Dicks, the podcast, and Small Town Dicks, that's a detective it's a true crime p- podcast. These are uh, big-time crimes happening in anonymous small-town cities, and uh, I'm going to check it out. Uh, Yarley, it's, it's been so cool to talk to you. Like I said, when I recognized you from Herman's Head, I was like, oh, I'm, this is awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to this one a lot. So uh, thank you for your—and I'm going uh, to follow you back on, on Instagram. So, um, yeah, I, I, love, I love it, but thank you so much for having me. What a, what a pleasure. Can I just ask you, I really want to be on Dancing with the Stars. Should— uh, should we ever all be able to be that close to each other again? Can you just tell me what that was like? Was it great? Was it fun? Was it everything? Well, do you have any dance ex- I had no dance experience at all. Like I, I have a little. I've, I took tango for several years. Um, I, I think you'd like it because you're trained. If you're like me, I, I valued the time to be able to work with one of the best in the world. Meaning yeah, yeah. I never would have been able to do that in my lifetime, to go and train with a dancer every day. Um, I was still doing my radio show, and I was touring a little bit, but um, it was, for me, 12 hours a day because I had no experience. I didn't know what the what the words meant. It was like when you said adjudicated, when they were like, okay, do, I had to Google all the words to know, like a sachet. I didn't know what this stuff meant. Sure. So uh, for me, it was great in that it was a really positive experience where I got to train with the best and learn. I never got great. I got to be okay. I ended up winning because— of the, But you won. I won because of the people, right? Because I also realized, just like in life— you yeah. can't just be the best at something. You've also got to be the person that people want to work with or want to root for. 100%. So that was kind of my goal. But I would, if, if this were an Uber rating, I'd give it four and three quarter stars. Like, I <laughs> loved my experience on that show. Yeah. Oh, I love hearing that. I would say if I wasn't an actress, I would be a professional ballroom dancer. And, and Not because I'm so great at it, but I would, that just sounds like heaven to me. I had no idea that, it was as tough as it was until I watched it with my own eyes. Yeah. And it is extremely – I would love for you to do it. Do you – I mean, I, I can put a text into a couple of producers, Arlie. Just say the word. Yeah, do it. Do okay. it. And when we're back from non-corona – and listen, I don't know if they're going to end up having this season this year. I think right now they're, they're flirting yeah. with the bubble idea where they're going to put all the dancers in a – which is what we basically uh, lived in anyway. Right. But, but that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to text the producer today and say, next season – don't sleep on Yardley. She's a professional dancer. She just hasn't been exposed to enough professionals yet. <laughs> okay, don't oversell it. Okay, all right. <laughs> Thank you. Yardley, good to talk to you. Um, hopefully you. we'll talk again soon in the future. I'd love it. All right, bye, Yardley. Thanks, Bobby. Bye. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that will draw both eyes and compliments. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they'll last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. 
Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. They offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. And stay cool in short sleeve moisture wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tacova's ever growing lineup of rugged and full grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit tacovas.com. That's T E C O V A S.com. Tacovas.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Hey, it's Amy Brown here to talk about the incredible work that's being done by St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and to ask you today to join me in becoming a partner in hope. When you make a donation to St. Jude, you're helping an organization that has helped push the overall childhood cancer survivor rate from 20% to more than 80%. And I can tell you from personal experience, that number and the hope that it brings is invaluable. Families do not have to worry about a thing. Treatment is covered, travel, housing, food. And when you're a family that's going through this, like, imagine, you're a parent, your kid gets cancer. You need to focus on that child. You don't need to be worrying about other things. And financial stuff can get really stressful. St. Jude covers it. Your support means families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment. And when you sign up for just $19 a month, you're going to get the new This Shirt Saves Lives tee. So join me in helping St. Jude in the fight against childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope and text Bobby to 785-833. That's B-O-B-B-Y to 785-833. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, Eddie. How are you? I'm doing fine, Bobby. How are you, sir? You know, I'm, I'm real good. It's uh, a real treat to talk to you over on my side of things, because uh, I get to talk to you sometimes on your side of things, in your domain, but it's a real pleasure to have you over here. Well, it's a real pleasure to be with you. I was thinking just the same thing. You know, I, I'm, I'm used to seeing you out at the uh, Opry frequently as a, as a performer, and of course your presence there has been heightened recently with your involvement with Circle Television, too, so... You always do a great job whenever you've been around, and it's uh, always been a treat to, to visit with you, and I'm um, looking forward to chatting with you here today. Well, I got a couple questions. You know, first of all, yeah, I, I would think that today would be an emotional day because today, it's, it's Wednesday, we're recording this. Is this the last day of the show? Yes, this is, will be the last uh, day of my uh, employment with, with Ryman Hospitality Properties, which, of course, owns WSM Radio and the Grand Ole Opry. Hmm. How are you feeling today going into that last show? Well, it's, uh, uh, it's it's sort of a mixed bag, if you will, very uh, reflective, very thankful. Uh, you know, so many experiences having been with the company and as an announcer with the Opry for 25 years. But 24 years ago this month, I 
started hosting the evening shift at WSM, and that's a that's a long run. So we've had a lot of magical experiences over the years. But on the other hand, I'm I'm looking forward with great optimism to to what the future holds. My wife Debbie and I are very much looking forward to getting out and doing a lot of things we wanted to do and go do some traveling. And we've got some dreams that we want to live and things we want to share, things she's like to do individually, some things I'd like to do individually. We'll do them together, of course. But uh, we're just very much looking forward to this and have a little more time to do it. And on top of that, while we're still in relatively good health to do so. You know, for folks that are listening and, and don't understand, like the, the amount of time that Eddie has been doing this night show that is such a level of success to can to stay on air for over 20 years like as somebody who's doing it and trying and grinding it out every day like i tip my hat to you that is something that very very few people in the whole world have ever done and especially at your level well thank you bobby for saying that one thing i'm proud of is in the almost 95 year history of wsm there's never been a longer tenured host in the evening shift and in the history of Nashville radio overall, there was only one other personality, a man named John Richborg, who played rhythm and blues music on WLAC late at night in the evenings. He was on, I believe, for 27 years before he retired back in 1972. So I'll play second fiddle to John Orange. <laughs> he was great what he did for what I gathered. You know, back to your first radio job, 1983, you made 20 bucks per show. Now, when you first started, was it on carts or records? How, how were you guys doing the music then? We played music exclusively from records. My first radio job was at WYII in Williamsport, Maryland, 55 miles from where I lived. And uh, it was near Hagerstown, but I lived in Gaithersburg, Maryland. That was my hometown. But we played on records, and that was it. That was it. You ever? These 45s. Yeah, elbow one of those things, and it goes, <laughs> and then all the, like, you're like, oh my goodness, and you got to run back to it. Did that ever happen? Uh, no, I never got caught with my records down, uh, <laughs> there, but I did at other places. <laughs> that's just, that seems scary. Cause you, you nudge one of those things. The whole radio station goes crumbling down. Yeah. They're, they're very delicate. That's for sure. You played fiddle back in the day with the Johnson mountain boys. Now, did you ever step into the circle and perform at the opera? You mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, uh, we were blessed to guest on the Opry several times, and uh, that was a, a great thrill. That was a dream that we had that, you know, that one day we might become members of the Opry. And I had a dream as a kid the first time I came there uh, in, on a summer vacation after uh, between 11th and 12th grade. I said, one day I'm going to be on that stage. And I was years later in the 80s as a, as a fiddle player, but I never dreamed that, you know, 17 years later, uh, almost, I think it was 17 years to the weekend. I was becoming an Opry announcer, so that was a it was a dream come true to get to be able to do all that. Eddie, when did this voice happen? Because I hear you talking, I thought, man, if I could have had this voice, I wouldn't have had to be as as dippy as I am. If I'd have just had the perfect voice, like Eddie here, where were you? 11, 12? When did this thing finally set in to where you're like, I can do this now? Well, uh, I, I always had a deeper voice. And uh, it wasn't something that I nurtured or went to uh, broadcasting school to to, to try to uh, work on to make it better. If, if I had, it, it, it probably would have been a lot better. But I give all the credit to God. I mean, he gave me the talents that I have, Bobby. And as to when it came in, you know, I don't know. I, I guess like most, you know, adolescents, your voice changes when you're 12 years old, 12, 13 years old, 14 maybe. 
but I always had a deep voice back, you know, as, as far as I could remember. I don't have anything of me as a kid, you know, talking on it, but uh, it just it's just what God wanted me to have. Man, I wish he'd have wanted me to have that kind of voice. Instead, I sound like this. I sound like the Peter Brady episode when he goes through puberty on the Brady Bunch. That's my whole life right there. <laughs> I saw yeah, you got but you got the you got the listeners and you got the fans and you're you're the most powerful broadcaster in country music. So uh, it's a it's a thrill to to be able to chat with you. There's room for all of us, Bobby, in what we do. You know. Well, I saw really? Dirks write something really nice. Dirks is a good friend of mine, and Dirks loves you. Did you get a chance to see what Dirks had written about you on Instagram and and, and Twitter and all that? No, forget. Me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a 78 RPM kind of guy in an iPod world. <laughs> so I don't see all that stuff. They quit making those in '57, by the way, '78. So, <laughs> but I, uh, I I haven't seen it, but uh, I, I would like to. Dirks has been very kind to me. Yeah, I mean, he wrote a whole lot, and he said, you know, I'll just read you a piece piece of it here. He said, when I was hanging out at Station Inn and really starting to dig deeper into the music, two of my biggest teachers were George Jones and Eddie Stubbs. Who else goes back and replays just the steel guitar solo of the song that he spun on vinyl to explain to the listener the importance of that musician's contribution to the success and greatness of the song? No one. So, and he wrote a lot more, too, but I thought, you know, a guy like Dirks, who's just an A-plus guy, aside from being a great artist, his words were, were, were pretty touching, and I know you and Dirks have been pretty close over the years. Well, that's really flattering, and, and we have. He started listening to me when he came to Nashville from out in Arizona. He was a college student at Vanderbilt University, and you know, it was always uh, neat to have him around. You know, he was just one of these guys that was just a sponge and just wanted to soak up everything he possibly could. Who was it, Eddie, that you would get nervous to talk to? Because, you know, here we are, 2020, and we, we hear about all the legends now, but who was it when they'd walk in the room, you'd get, be like, oh, boy, here we go. This is about to be something. I got that way a little bit with Earl Scruggs early on because he was such a, a childhood hero of mine. And um, I, way back, you know, I, I was nervous being around Ray Price. Uh, that was before I ever came to Nashville. Uh, that was back in the early 90s when I was working in radio in Washington at WAMU. And uh, getting to be in the presence of these people, you know, for the first time and meet them, uh, you know, I would, I would definitely, I was definitely nervous, as I guess anybody would be, you know, at that, at that point in time. With you being able to bring on so many people on that Opry stage, especially for like an, uh, the first time they get to play the Opry stage, when you look back, who was it that maybe you had seen or, or caught part of their performance, but the crowd just absolutely went bonkers for way early in their career, and you were able to go, man, this is about to be something? Josh Turner stands out very strong in my mind. Um, I was there the night that he made his debut at the, at the Ryman Auditorium. He was a brand-new artist, didn't have a record out or anything at that point. And Pete Fisher, the manager of the Opry at that time, put him on the show, and he came out and sang Long Black Train, and that voice was so unique and so special. And, you know, he just had a, a very, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, he just had a presence about him that, with confidence, he was who he was. And you could tell that this guy wasn't just a, a, a great singer with a deep voice and a great song, but you could tell this guy was an artist. And there's a big difference between a singer and an artist. Not every performer is an artist, but I could sense that. And he, you know, he got a standing ovation that night. 
he was halfway up the stairs to, to his dressing room, and they had to go get him after he, after he'd done his song. He didn't realize that he was being called back. <laughs> That's awesome. I have two more questions for you because I mean I could spend three hours here. I feel like we should do a whole Ken Burns series on you, Eddie. To be honest with you, but I got two more questions for you. Number one is over the years. Any cool memorabilia from the Opry that someone maybe had given you or an artist would leave behind, or are you keeping anything as a memento from the Opry? I tell you, Bobby, that's a, that would be a hard question to, to answer because I'm, I've always been a, a student of the music and a collector and a fan, and I've got a lot of memorabilia that I've bought, and I've gotten things that people have given me over the years, uh, lots of special things that, uh, you know, pictures, songbooks, things like that, so... It would be hard to pinpoint to say what is my most treasured artifact of Opry memorabilia. I do have one item that's, that's tied to the Opry, so to speak, and that's a, a 78 record on Columbia by Uncle Jimmy Thompson, who is the man who was the first person to play on WSM. And he filled an hour's worth of airtime playing old-time fiddle music because somebody didn't show up, and that's what led to the birth of the Grand Ole Opry. So... Having one of Uncle Jimmy Thompson's 78s, you know, it wasn't his personal copy, but those records are very scarce. To have one of those is, a, is something that's uh, very meaningful. Wow. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit Tacova's.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. And don't go gently, y'all. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.